Welcome to the Apple Store Kurfürst and Damm in Berlin. To our event, meet the musician with Tori Amos. Please welcome our guest moderator tonight, Johnny Häusler. Thank you. <clears throat> I need to stand up. If I say hello to all of you, I need to stand up. I can't do that sitting down, I'm sorry. Uh, well, yeah, welcome. This is going to be a very special event, as you might hope for. And I would like to ask you to be as loud as you can be, okay, within this event. So we're going to jump not right into the head of well, first, we're going to have a look at this. Well, there are many paintings um, of the repentant Magdalene. And I was looking at these paintings and showed up at the Irish house. And lo and behold, there was um, a print on the wall of Geraldine. And she looked repentant. So I was looking, looking for the story. I started thinking in my mind about being repentant and um, being unrepentant about things, not apologizing for your beliefs. Now she's on the run, but I have found it quite straightforward in her contracts and her deals. She wants me when danger is loose behind his wings. Every song that's making the album has to resonate with the now. All bets are off here, and I needed to experiment. I needed to try things. finding my own way for myself and that's really what part of the, the record is about for me. So ladies and gentlemen, please give a very, very warm welcome to Tori Amos. Oh, yours. Hi. <laughs> now stop. <laughs> we don't have that much time. Okay. Well, thanks for being a great audience and listening to what I said. Tori, first of all, thank you so much for being here. You have a, such a tight schedule at the moment. You're on a world tour. You have interviews all the time. So it's great to have you here. Thanks. Thank you, Johnny. Um, I'd like to, I thought it was maybe it would be a good idea before we talk about the new album, which is your 14th 
records, unbelievable. But before, before we talk about that, I'd like to go back to the last years, because um, I think they've been important for you, like the last five years, because uh, you seem to have kind of reinvented yourself with the last two or three records even. Yeah, the last five years, my goodness, I was in Poland, and I looked up at the sky, and I said to the muses, I need guidance. I need something. I don't know what it is, but I know that I need to be pushed and taken somewhere. It's been a great ride so far musically, and I've, I've had some um, collaborations with amazing musicians and technicians, and I knew that I needed to make another leap, but I didn't know what it was. Mm -hmm. So that was why the last three records, you had classical albums? Yeah. Well, little did I know, uh, this German musicologist had this idea, and it truly was, this is how things happen. Somebody has an idea, and because they think, well, let me put it out there. And they put the idea out, he put it out there, and said, I think you should do variations on classical themes. And I said, yeah, that's funny. <laughs> because, you know, when I heard, I had a heart attack, um, and I said, you know, when I was talking to those muses in Poland, I wasn't suggesting I was going to do variations on the masters of classical mm -hmm. music, because that can really be suicide as a musician. You know, never do that, and never write an opera. <laughs> I mean, those are the things you just don't do as a contemporary artist. And then you spent 2013 uh, doing a musical. Different than an opera. I'm sorry? Different than an opera, because oh. a, a musical, a musical um, can lend itself in a different way. Um, although it might seem like the architecture is similar, they're in fact different. A musical was something that uh, my mom wanted me to do ever since I was a little girl. Okay. So she would play me musical theater along with every, all her record collection when my father went to the church. So he went to go be a, a reverend and pray, and my mom would close the door. You know, the housewife, it's like the glasses come off. And she would put the records on and, and say, so if you can learn this, you'll play it tonight. By the time your dad comes home, you will have learned this, but he won't necessarily know these songs. Mm -hmm. So you'll play for me later while I'm doing the dishes. <laughs> and that was our relationship. So was that part of your mom wanting you to do a musical? Was that part of why you did it? Part of why I did it was because um, my mom and my daughter both love musical theater okay. so much. And I was watching them connect through it. And I thought, you know, while my mom is still alive, I want to make this a reality. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to tell a story. And my mom said to me, whatever you do, will you make a musical where the women aren't the baddies. <laughs> you know, we were watching all these Disney films with Tash, and she would say to me, it's always the stepmother, or it's always the woman. <laughs> and she said, come on, dear, you can do better than that. Is sure. she right? Is she right? She's right. There are a lot of baddies that are women mm -hmm. in, in those fairy tales. So it seemed to me that there was an opportunity to be part of a feminist fairy tale. Mm -hmm. And we realized that that might um, unsettle some people.
because it's, it's confrontational about power and the abuse of power and the abuse of the patriarchy particularly. Mm -hmm. So if you're a woman that's aligned to the patriarchy, you will take offense as well. But that's good. Offense is good. I'm happy about that. I have a feeling that we might come back to that topic <laughs> within the next minutes. But first, what, what, what was it like for you at, at the musical to be like a little more behind the scenes? You know, even more people than you need on a tour, I guess? Well, you know, it's funny, Johnny. The, what you're bringing up is the reason that the music on this record is what it is and the stories is so much about responding to the last few years of being a creative team member on The Light Princess. So if you can imagine, um, I wasn't the captain of that ship, mm -hmm. therefore I was a sailor. And it's very different being captain and sailor, having been captain of my ship. So Marianne Elliott was the captain of that ship and she's brilliant. Um, and watching her, she is an actor whisperer. And she is able to get people to do the darnest things. Um, she would come up to me. She's so cute. She's the cutest blonde you've ever seen in your life, but she's ruthless about story. And so she would come by me and Sam Adams and my writing partner, and she'd kneel and she'd say, okay, what am I watching here? And I'd say, uh, tell me, what are you watching there? And she said, well, in this song, I'm not hearing that our light princess is any different from him, from his narration and his mm -hmm. point of view. And I would listen to her and I would try, because I'd say, oh, it's very different, it's very different. She goes, uh-uh, not different. And then I would get it and I would say, oh my goodness gracious. So seeing through her ears and then other creative people watching how they work If you just zip it, which I can do, believe it or not, sometimes. <laughs> um, but when you, when you really see how other creative people get their inspiration, and you really see, oh my goodness, that's how they came up with that idea. It began to recalibrate uh, everything I ever imagined, and it started to change me as a storyteller. So let's turn to the new record now, Unrepentant Geraldines. I had to practice that. <laughs> It's not that easy. Um, how, do, how would you say it in German? Um, the German translation? Yes. Uh, well, I would say uh, Geraldines Frauen ohne Reue, something like that. Mm -hmm. So could you translate it like women without remorse? Can I translate it? No. Uh, is that <laughs> another way to... Do you speak any German? Nine. <laughs> No, but but there's, more, there's more to it than just talking about having no remorse, right? Correct. It's, it's about um, standing by what you believe in today, knowing that that might shift tomorrow. Because, see, everybody here has a perception and a lens. And you might not think that your lens, I don't know, is that special. Or you might think your lens is the only lens. There are those people. Um, but what has begun to happen as I've gotten older is that I've been able to listen to other people's stories and how they see things. And everybody's um, 
um, how do you say it? Uh, way of seeing and way of hearing is uniquely theirs. And you never know what vision is going to trigger the sounds and the chord formation. Somebody will be talking to me in a coffee shop and they have, honestly, they have no idea. They're talking about another song and all of a sudden you hear America. That song coming, you, you just start hearing it and you think, my goodness, what is happening? Something they're saying is making me remember this song that's already existing because the songs are alive. But I'm a hunter, so I have to go hunt them down. And part of the hunting, you hunt for frequency, yes? Part of the hunting is listening. Listening to somebody's essence in front of you. That's who your Buddha is for the day. There's always somebody that is your Buddha on your altar for that day. Sometimes it's the cleaning lady. Sometimes You'd be amazed where the inspiration comes from. And so much of this album was me just wrestling with all these other projects. And to process what was going on, I would keep these secret songs. Because I didn't, I didn't have a record contract for these songs. So I wasn't playing them for anybody. I just said, they'd come visit and I'd hide them in my pocket. And then finally, my husband said, what are you doing? One morning I was playing in Florida and he said, what, what's that? I said, oh, I don't know, something weatherman, I don't know. And he said, no, no, no. <laughs> I'm gonna have some questions to some of the songs, but first, the, the, the album seems to deal just in parts with growing older, um, also though with um, you know, thoughts and fears women might have, uh, women trying to get their spiritual and worldly selves to merge them, mm. um, themes like that. Where did that come from? I mean, you just told us that you, you, know, you listen to people and the songs kind of come to you. But um, do you choose uh, like, like special themes before you do the record? Like, do you sit down and say, I want to write about this and that? Or do you just let it happen? No, it's happening, but I'd say to you, I'd say to you that um, I was relating a lot to teenagers mm -hmm. because they were going through and are going through something, but on the opposite end of the spectrum. Then um, there's, no, there's no central way to say this or, or to make the perfume delicious for you. So I'm just going to come out and say it. I think in my late 40s, there was a moment of um, confusion. Confusion on how to, to create a path for myself that was honest and that wasn't um, a cliche. So like other people had done it, um, that didn't seem desperate, but also accepting but accepting and saying, wow, 50 is amazing. I wasn't there at 49. <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't there, I was far away from that. And so these songs were the only way, along with encouragement, particularly from my teenage daughter, but I began to see that teenage girls in that struggle to become women was a mirror image of women 
in their mid to late 40s trying to understand what kind of woman they wanted to be as their hormones were changing. So you've got this teenage gal and this 40 something gal and talk about those hormones happening in a room, oh my God. <laughs> and I began to think, wow, we're at a similar stage but at polar opposites. And so I thought, that's my teacher and I need to listen and learn. There's a line in one of the songs uh, saying, there are those who say I'm now too old to play. Did that for a time, for that time, bother you at all? Or was that your own demons you had to fight? Well, they are my own demons. But um, if, if you're really looking at the industry and how many mm. contracts are getting signed for the songwriters, it's a little different for the entertainers because you see they employ the young DJs. And so the writers, they bring the writers in from the clubs or whatever it is, male and female. And they're able, don't you see, to, to um, be uh, valid for now because they're talking about something that's connecting, don't you see, because they're, they're aligning an icon, right, with a poet of now. I'm talking about being able to write something that resonates now. And those contracts are not being given by the majors to women 50 and up as much as they're being given to men 50 and up. I'm telling you, it's a fact, it's not an opinion. And the head of Universal will tell you that's absolutely true. And do you know what he'll say to me? He said, T, supply and demand. And I'll say, wow, wow. That's a comment, isn't it? It's very different from the film industry mm -hmm. because those roles are designed and created, don't you see? So if you think about, well, Helen Mirren of the rock world, but people don't come for you to play a 50-something role when you're playing. You, you are a bard. You must talk about everything. Sexuality, sensuality, all these things in order to resonate. And so the, we're talking pop rock. We're not talking about the country world. It's a very, very different animal. And I knew this looking at it at 49, and I just said, well, I'm at a loss here because I know the facts. I know the reality. And Tash looked at me and said, if you don't get your head around this, do you know what you're telling me? You're telling me you quit. Mm. You're telling me that you fought all these other things, and you can't say, Tash, 50's great, because what you're telling me now is 50's over. Mm -hmm. And is that what you're telling me, Mom? Because when I hear you play, you're as good to me as when you were, you're as capable, whether it's good or crap, it's as capable as when she was little. She said, you're not 80. So why aren't you out there? She goes, you need to go out on your own. Play by yourself. You do it for you. Mm -hmm. Happy birthday. That's your birthday present, Mom. You go out on your own, and you rock. And I thought, okay. <laughs> okay, Tash. We should probably hear some applause for Tash then. <laughs> <laughs> And you also... <clears throat>
You're also, there's, there's a song with her together on the record, which is, uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's a beautiful love song. It's a very intimate dialogue in a way. Mm. Uh, was that hard for you to do or for her? Was that weird in a way or did it come across naturally? Well, we, we jam together. That's okay. just something we do. And I think she's used to that. She, her dad and I kind of do that. But what we were talking about She said, you know, this is, the, this is the thing, Mom. Grown-ups are so good at saying, I told you that was going to happen. <laughs> She said, you guys are masters at that. And sometimes that's not what we need to hear. <laughs> so we have to be able to make our decisions and maybe our mistakes. And I'll say, yeah, but what's the detriment? What's the detriment? And she'll say, what do you mean? I said, well, you know, things happen to teenagers all the time because there wasn't communication. And we have to be able to communicate. Mm -hmm. And she said, but it works the same way, doesn't it, Mom? And I said, oh, fair enough. Then it needs to work the same way. We need to be able to have this dialogue. She said, you know, I only live at home part time now. So we should be able to have these discussions. And promise became about things that we would and wouldn't do to each other. Now, we'll see if this holds up when she's 17. I don't know. <laughs> But it was really about, you know, not judging who the lover is. And we started having these discussions. I said, I don't know if I can do that. Mm -hmm. She goes, I already know Dad has a gun. He doesn't. <laughs> But... I already know how he feels about me bringing home a guy. And I said, all joking aside, we have to be able to be open about that and for you to be able to talk about it. And so these were some of the, the conversations we were having. And they're going to get more interesting <laughs> because between the age of 13 and 20, there's a lot of stuff happening I think in our so. lives. Um, I need to change the topic completely now because there's really this one thing I need to ask you because I want to be able to understand it in uh, Giant's Rolling Pin. You mentioned the NSA, you mentioned the FBI, and you mentioned cake. Cake? Pie. 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 So Different. Uh, yeah, okay. But I must admit that I found it a little hard to get all that together. There. Yeah, truth-telling pies. That's the key. Okay. Truth-telling pies. Now I get it. So if you have, if you have a bite of this pie, mm -hmm. then you can see the truth for a moment of time mm -hmm. and their agenda, because that's very important in this conversation. Mine, too. I always have an agenda. <laughs> But, I mean, don't we all? We all do. And so... It seemed to me this was a serious discussion about spying and technology and is there a world whereby you as a writer, for example, are writing things that might be stirring it up and would there be a force, an authority that wouldn't want you putting it out there and what type of pressure could mm -hmm. they put you under? The tax man gets mentioned as well. So what kind of covert pressure in a world could be put on one of you if you all were writing something or thinking about something that somebody in um, a, a certain position of authority wouldn't want that out there. 
Say you're campaigning for a governor or you're campaigning for someone and you're really making it happen for them. Would there be somebody that had access to your email that might decide, no, we're going to make this difficult for this person. So these questions were coming up. Mm -hmm. And in the States, there was a real um, divided argument about this. And if we knew this was happening, how would we handle it? What would we do? How would we respond to it? So these were all questions coming into Giants mm -hmm. Rolling Pin. Thank you. And don't pretend you all got it the first time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not afraid to ask. Um, how, much, did you, how much do you think that technology, like the internet, for example, change um, your work as an artist? I mean, you collect selfies on your webpage now from fans all over I know, the world. Right? Um, <laughs> did it, does it influence you, apart from the production process, which obviously changed a lot, you know, sure. going from huge mixing consoles yep. to, to just the screen, basically, or even... Uh, well, we're tablet. making a record on the road right now. We're doing right. The Light Princess, mm -hmm. OCR, so original cast recording. And we've recorded the orchestra, and we've got a Pro Tool rig on the road. So we're editing the orchestra on the road and we'll be picking up the actors' performances and then editing them on the road. And that's how we're making the Light Princess um, album, which will be Is there any time you don't work? <laughs> uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know if I think music, I don't see music as work. I see it as um, a magic carpet ride. And sometimes composing can be a real lonely place to be mm -hmm. because you have to pull the skin off. And there were times during this record where Mark would say to me, you know, you've got to take yourself off. You've got to get to those demons and you need to go away to do that because, okay. because you're a mom. And the way that we've tried to make things work is that the, the musician sometimes has to go off and, and figure it out without dragging everybody through it. So see, we're slightly running out of time because I think that people want to ask questions because uh, I have written down talking about paintings. Cezanne, you know, you got into that and uh, I wondered how that happened. But um, I think it's time to open up the microphones. So if you really have a question that I didn't ask, if there is any question that I did not ask, <laughs> within those 30 minutes. Uh, let's start in, uh, at the front, please. Hi, um, Tori, hi. Um, I've been listening to your music for around 22 years now. Um, the reason I bring that up is I like the idea of growing old with an artist. And uh, you've, you've pointed out in, in a number of, on a number of occasions that you've, you know, the, how, the, how um, the masters have influenced you, whether it comes to great artists or great musicians. But I was wondering if you have a contemporary writers or, or um, musicians who you use as touchstones to make sense of life before uh, you have to deal with that. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Yes, there are. I don't usually mention them by name because I feel like it can get elitist and you can leave people out and they're still really um, conjuring their path if they're just out right now. So. Yes, I listen to all kinds of things and, and read all kinds of things because that's part of the process. That is part of the creative process. Um, 
And Tash is exposing me to all kinds of things that I would never be exposed to. Those YouTubers, for example. <laughs> My goodness, there'd be so much that I wouldn't know about because the kids seem to be very, very um, fluent in that world. They seem to know what's happening on both sides of the Atlantic, and they can find it really quick. Hmm. And, and that's really exciting for me because I get exposed to so much that I wouldn't. So yes, I'm influenced greatly by contemporary artists as well. And it was a great question. Thank you. <laughs> Who's next? Don't be afraid if, if you want to ask uh, questions in German. I try to uh, translate. Well, then what we do is switch up the sides, okay? Um, could you come over here or somebody? Oh, it's you. I'm sorry. Uh, so in the front row. So it's not the th same questions, right? You have different questions. Okay. Hi, Jory. Thanks so much for coming to Berlin. Uh, I have a question concerning your songwriting process, um, because there are some songs such as uh, Apollos Rock and uh, Malthus Foolish Ginger, who've taken almost 10 years to mm. write. Uh, you started writing those in 1995, I think. And um, could you perhaps tell us about um, why some songs take so much longer than other songs, and are there any songs on Unrepentant Geraldines that have had a similar process? Oysters has taken several years to write. And I think that's because, um, as the song says, I'm working my way back. I'm working my way back to me again. So in order to do that, I had to really live that experience. And the song kept turning on itself and shifting until I could find the pearl of the song itself. I went to Ireland, I went around the world, and it really had, um, different variations, and it did have to evolve and literally turn on itself in order to become what, what it became. So we switch sides again. Um, there was, uh, yes. Um, hi, we all know you uh, live part-time in Cornwall and also in the States, I think in Florida, and I'd like to know do you feel more than an American artist or, and woman or more as a British one? That's interesting. I'd say to you, um, globally, you try, and with the world we're living in, you try and really be um, versatile in a music language that isn't just British English or American English, because we all know they're very different languages, those two. And of course, I'm, I'm uh, influenced by both cultures. The Native American spirituality is something that I take with me wherever I go. And perhaps as I've gotten older, it makes more sense to me. The idea of um, seeing beyond boundaries and seeing beyond borders so that you're really listening to the land and being a part of the land where you are, being really present with it. And that could be in Frankfurt 48 hours ago or in Berlin where we are today, that you're just not seeing yourself as um, anything else but being present. And I, I don't mean to be airy-fairy with that answer, but I guess, of, 
of course you're influenced by all kinds of things and people and shows. Mark is very connected to Cornwall, and I understand it. I understand why. It's beautiful. It's not really my entry point when it comes to uh, gathering the songs. It's a great place to record. He's made an amazing studio um, so that you're surrounded by nature, but when you walk in, it's very um, Star Trek. And so you have this crazy balance, and there are not a lot of distractions. But for me, I find that the song lines, that idea of song lines, I sometimes have to go into the wilds. The Southwest is a strong place for me in the States. And a lot of songs come when I'm just on pilgrimage. I think Thanks. we had three questions from men. Now we should have questions from women. Well, there she is. Um, over, just over there. Oh, are you a, oh, it doesn't matter. I'll take it. Hi, Tori. Um, what do you like uh, the most about yourself? <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> you answer the question first. That's what do really you good. like the most about yourself? Oh, <laughs> See how hard it is? <laughs> yeah, I know. I do. <laughs> yeah, it is hard. That I, I guess, um, let's see, it's a tough question. Maybe that you can um, see and hear beauty in all kinds of experiences. You know, there's maybe a time in my 20s where I was a lot more judgmental. And I think I've been humbled a lot, humbled by other people's um, story, what they've been through. And I think being able to listen, maybe being able to listen is something that I've had to learn to do. And I find that I'd rather be listening to you talk right now than me talk. <laughs> I know the gig, but I'm really fascinated in the way somebody sees the world. Maybe we can get, because you're on a very tight schedule, I know that you need to rush. Maybe we... Um, this, should we get, she had her hand yes, up too. Yes, please, uh, at the front here. And maybe we get one more then, yeah? We'll see how it goes. Okay, hi Tori. Um, one thing that I've been thinking about a lot lately is that um, those connections between the different generations, and you're talking about your daughter a lot, about your mom, and you kind of being the middle generation, and um, how does that work out? How do you keep those those strings connected? Isn't like because I find that very hard being on the the downside of well, the, the last generation keeping the other two older generations together mm. difficult a lot of the time. How do you feel about that? You have to put a lot of effort into it. And sometimes the older ones don't feel as if they're seen. Sometimes they feel invisible when they walk down a street as if they're just taking up air. When you really listen to them talk about it, 
You know, my mother said something to me once. She took me by the hand, and we stood in front of a mirror. And she said, do you see those people in that mirror? And I kind of thought, yeah. She goes, one of them is a stranger to me. I don't know who she is. Because in here, I'm running, and I'm laughing. And I don't know who that is. She's a stranger to me. Because here is different from here. And I looked at her and I said, but you're so beautiful. And she goes, you're very kind, dear. But don't you understand? I don't recognize that person. So it's important that we understand, because we're all going to get there if we live long enough. But there's a compassion that's begun to happen that perhaps I didn't have. Because I didn't have to have it. I didn't understand it. I didn't get it. Just didn't feel it, didn't get it. But once you begin to open to it, you start to think, these are our wise people, but we're not going to them. The Native Americans would talk about going to the elders and listening, and that you didn't get to be considered a wise woman before you were 50. And I'm a baby. I'm a baby in that category then, right? And yet these beings sometimes aren't seen. And it's that consciousness that we need to begin to open to. Not all of them have done their work. Not, some of them have shut down and become saddened and bitter because they were invisible for so long that they now live an invisible life. That's why the song Invisible Boy was very important because a lot of men I was talking with felt as if um, they had a romantic self and a self that was maybe going to get criticized if they talked about their emotions. They don't just hang out like we do. They, it's not culturally the same where they can all talk about their emotions. If you're in a pub, as my husband says, yeah, you go down to the pub and start talking about your emotions. <laughs> right? And I thought, well, fascinating. So Invisible Boy became all men that I knew of every age, and that they were the ones, in some cases, that had the romantic idea of beauty, not, um, uh, not the one that wanted to suppress the other person, but wanted something really, I can't, beautiful to happen, an exchange to happen. And so the idea of invisibility can happen to all of us and any of us, because we're like this, right? Instead of, and that's what began to happen. The song started to do this to me. You must look around you. You must listen to everyone. You don't know where you're going to get the next gold from. You don't. Just because somebody might not be as clever as you are, you think they aren't. They say something from here, and you think, I'm changed. I'm changed now, today. And that can happen tomorrow and the next day. And how good is that? And that's what unrepented is. Unrepentant about changing. We can change every day. It's okay that I'm going to think differently in 48 hours from now, that I'll be open because somebody will tell me something, and I'll think, ding. 
One more. One more. I said, ladies, now. <laughs> it's three boys, three girls. Um, just uh, in the middle, uh, um, just the third row in the middle. Can you get there? Um, with ATN and um, Twinkle, and now especially Selkie, and I think you have a Scottish heritage in your family, is that right? Yes, that's right. Um, and we've heard a lot of uh, the Southwestern and the Indian background and religious uh, background. Um, your heritage, is it something that comes up from time to time, especially the Scottish side, because I'm very interested in Scotland, that's why I'm asking. Um, or is it something that pops up from time to time? Uh, it pops up. I think that as a songwriter, you're not always aware um, what is uh, in your DNA and where the stories come from. But if we think about it as that we're all able to connect to mythology, it's in all of us. All the myths and all the stories are in all of us, each one of us. No one has the copyright on that, and no one has more of it than someone else. It's what we choose. If we go back far enough, we all go back and, what is it, in evolution, we go back, 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 and back, and back, and back, and think about all that. Genetically, think of the stories we can access. We have the conqueror, we have the victim, we have all of them in here. And somehow, we make this um, wonderful with the ingredients, right? With these ingredients, we can tell any story we want. And it's endless, isn't it? But see, we don't have to be this vision of who we are today the same, because I think, well, wait a minute, that story that came from ancient Norse, oh, I feel very much like Loki today. And you begin to find the Loki in yourself, and it doesn't have to be the pejorative how the stories get told, you see. Sometimes you have to find the truth in the story, because they've all been you know, made and, and remade. So you have to find it in yourself. What does the trickster mean to you? It doesn't have to be malevolent or benevolent. It's just a force. It's an energy. And then you create with that force. And because it's you, it'll be different from the girls in the front row or these people. They'll do something different with trickster, with coyote. But Native American would call it coyote. The Norse call Loki. So how we, it's all in every single one of us. That's why when somebody says, I don't really like who I am, I say, get reading. <laughs> You're all these things. All the archetypes are in all of us. It's just accessing it. That's all it is. And say, I'm going to walk out nature today with um, Artemis right here. Did you say something about a short and easy <laughs> I know question? it was my fault. <laughs> no, no, it was. It's, it's just a huge question. Um, okay, last one, please. Um, I have a question regarding the concept that you already mentioned that um, the song actually already exists and they, they just come and visit and um, you just have to catch them somehow. And this, um, I can relate to this concept. Um, and this, is, this has been described by artists throughout time, actually. Um, it remembered me um, what you said. Um, 
uh, Michelangelo in the Renaissance, uh, when he, cut, when he um, made this um, grand figure, um, David, in Florence, if you, probably you know this, if you see, um, he said, um, when he saw the block of stone, um, it already existed, the figure already existed, he just had to cut out the rest of the stone around the figure, um, meaning that um, an artistic creation somehow is already there. And um, um, I would like to know about your, de um, your further thoughts about this, how this really is um, working, because it's so so unclear, actually, really, for for artists. It's it's astonishing, and um, somehow, um, sometimes even um, um, not horrifying, but it's startling for for, for if something something comes comes, mm. and you don't you don't have an explanation. It's just there, and it's 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 good, but it's it's like the feeling like it's not it's not by me. It's not it's not done by me. It is done by me, but I think you know what I mean. I do know what you mean. I, so if we get out of the analytical side of the brain, and there is a level of surrender, whereas we're co-creators, if any of us think that we're creating by ourselves, then that's a dangerous, that's a place of hubris and the narcissism, which is its own uh, demon. But teacher, you know, there's a teacher there, and so we have to get ourselves out of that and think, all right, how exciting that I'm in co-creation with a force. Now, we can do all kinds of things with this force, but it's your intention. We're back to intention. And so, yes, I believe all the songs exist, but in order I'm talking about in an energetic form, but how they get structurally um, conceived is partly because they push me to have an experience, to have a consciousness, and they will not come to me. I think there are some writers who, who have a different skill set, whereby they can write in a different manner, but I'm not allowed to get the song without learning the lesson. And sometimes I haven't learned the lesson as much as I need to, and then another song will come, if that makes sense. Then another song will come, do you see? So I have to hunt for it. Does that make sense? I have to um, hunt for the frequency. I know you probably have a lot more questions, but That'll take us five hours, and we can't <laughs> do that. So um, I want to ask you to, to give a l last, very warm round of applause. Thank you, guys. You're amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Johnny, thank you very much. So much. That was brilliant. Thank Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. You're great. <laughs>